there were a lot of incidences that just sucked and really stuck with me for a long time. For one thing, I mean, I'd be walking on the street with my mom everywhere we went. I was like stared down. And because I could understand Chinese, it almost felt like a curse because I could understand every comment and, and question that came our way. Like, you know, is she your maid? How could she be your daughter when she's so dark? And I got chased down by the cops one day because they thought I was an illegal Filipina maid. I was just, there there was a lot. And I spent a lot of my days crying. Hey everyone, welcome back to Flourish in the Foreign, the award-winning podcast that celebrates, elevates, and affirms the voices and stories of Black women living and flourishing abroad while examining living abroad as a pathway to wellness. I'm your host, Christine Job, a Black American woman with Trinidadian roots, currently living and thriving in Spain. And welcome back to the show. Welcome to the show. If you're new, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it. I'm not just a award-winning podcaster. I know. I'm also a business strategist that helps Black women and women of color leverage their talents and their expertise into viable and sustainable online businesses, businesses that make them financially abundant and professionally fulfilled while they pursue their thriving lives abroad. If this is something that you're interested in, please be sure to grab the Build a Business Abroad guide, which you can find at my website, christinejob.com. And definitely check out the past episodes, Build a Business Abroad Part 1 and Part 2, which you can always find at flourishintheforeign.com. As some of you guys have seen, this here podcast, Flourish in the Foreign, was featured as one of Travel Noir's top travel podcasts to listen to. Yay! So shout out to Travel Noir. Thank you so much for featuring Flourish in the Foreign. If y'all haven't seen that article, I will put the link in the description of this here episode. As y'all know, this here podcast is a labor of love, but y'all know, labor. (laughs) nonetheless so please support this here podcast you can do so by buying me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash flourish foreign you can also purchase the move abroad with intention guide or build a business abroad guide which you can find at flourishintheforeign.com and of course be sure to subscribe to this podcast review this podcast rate this podcast five stars and continue to share this podcast with all your friends all your family, all of your coworkers, the ones that you like, just them. Yes, continue to share this podcast because it really does mean so much and it really does make a difference. All right, on to the show. So today's episode is another podcast swap, which I'm really loving. As y'all know, it's always support Black women all the time, 24-7, 365. That's what it is over here. So I really like to collaborate with other Black women podcasters. And today I'm bringing you guys an episode from Amanda Bates of the Global Chatter Podcast and also of the theblackexpat.com. 
Some of you guys that have been listening to the podcast for a while will know that Amanda Bates. Yeah, that sounds familiar. Yeah, because she was episode 11 of this here podcast. And she really talked about her journey of being a third culture kid and how she developed the Black expat and all of her experiences living abroad. Amanda really is, she is like one of my favorite people and I've never met her in real life, but we have been collaborating and kikiing for years. (laughs) So it really does bring me a lot of pleasure to showcase her podcast here. So without further ado, I'm going to let Amanda tell you all about it. By the time I met Salonia Tiedras in 2016, I was already vaguely familiar with her work. Sol had reached out to me a few years prior on a new project she was working on with her brand, The Change School. The Change School, which she co-founded with Grace Clapham, creates meaningful learning experiences to help individuals align their interests and values in a way that leads to transformation. At the time, they were looking for third culture adults and global citizens to discuss how their international experiences impacted their lives. And I was game. So eventually, when I made my way to Singapore, I knew I had to meet up with her to find out if she was just as chill in person as she was online. And guess what? She was that and much more. Soul is a change strategist, learning designer, and a Thrive coach. But she's also a third culture kid, a veteran expat, and a mama, who's been on her own journey of transforming and reinventing. And at the time of this interview, she had just returned to Asia after living in Portugal for a few years. And as no big surprise, a lot has changed since I last saw her. In this episode, Sol and I discuss what it meant for her to grow up Ethiopian Taiwanese American in the 1990s and dealing with always being the different kid, especially in Asia. She also discusses why job hopping isn't always necessarily bad and how those experiences can be used to leverage the next opportunity. And she shares her candid thoughts on being a new mom and the reality of trying to actually raise a mixed heritage global citizen even when you are one. So this might be the most third culture kid episode I've had in a while. When two TCKs impact the reality and impact of these international childhoods. There's lots of reflections, a few questions, and maybe a couple of answers in this one. Hope you enjoy the ride. Welcome to the Global Chatter. Welcome to the latest episode of the Global Chatter. I hope that you listened to the intro. And I think if you've gotten this far, you've listened to the intro. So you know that my guest is Saul, who I'm I'm like pumped about this interview because you may have already heard this or you may know this, but um, I met her like years and years and years ago and then had the opportunity to actually meet her in person in Singapore, which she's not in Singapore right now. And so... This, in a lot of ways, is like a full circle moment for me because I 
love to go back and reconnect with folks that I've met along this journey doing the Black Expat and all this work. And so, Soul, I am so happy to have you here. How are you doing today? I am great. Thank you so much for having me. And I'm so happy to be reconnected. Oh my gosh, right? Like it's I had to do the math in my head. And I Oh my god. <laughs> and I was like, I remember us having a drink in Singapore. And so I was I like, okay, that was spot. like I remember the day. Same. But I do not remember, I remember it was the hot. Day. Yeah, exactly. I remember <laughs> it was I remember it was hella hot. Totally. No, it was it yeah. was like this is why I know this because this is the first and only time I've ever been to Singapore. <laughs> but it was it was like December twenty sixteen. So oh, about wow. six okay. years ago. Yeah, that sounds about right. That sounds about yeah. right. That's crazy. It also feels like the world is kind of different since that. Yeah, just a little <laughs> bit. I mean, things have happened. You know, just small, small <laughs> things have happened. I was living in Asia. I don't live in Asia anymore. So that, I mean, obviously a pandemic, right? Yeah, just, That'd be like... yeah exactly. Minor details. <laughs> right. <laughs> And uh, and so for people who are listening in, it being a global show, I start off with this question all the time. Where in the world are you currently located? So I am back in Asia and it feels so good. So <laughs> I, yeah, I've been in Portugal. I was living in Lisbon for the last three and a half years. And then I was just, I was missing this part of the world. You know, here's where my fam friends support system is. And I wanted to come back and I needed some island life. So I'm here in Bali, Indonesia. I was telling a friend the other day, there's nothing like, this is for me personally, and I know not everyone necessarily shares the sentiment, but global south and water Mm -hmm. and just warmth, you know, like it's just different. I I think if, if you're just from or have lived in just parts of the world where that's the thing, nothing else feels Right. That's it. No, that's it. I mean, I'm ashamed to say this and people, you know, especially water people or surfers and stuff are probably going to laugh at me, but you know, Portugal is known for beach life, right? And, and good mm. surf and everything. In the three and a half years I was there, I got in the water three times. And (laughs) because it was too cold, I just could not. And my partner, I drove him insane. He had to force me in the water those three times, but I just, I can't, I can't handle cold water. And since I've been in Bali, and I've been in the beach every weekend, (laughs) of course, (laughs) it's so good. It's so good. Well, I was in the, I was in the Caribbean earlier this year at, or in, in Dominican Republic and Beautiful. It, I well, yeah, I love so okay. Like I love beaches or whatever, and I happen to live in a state right now that has beaches, known for beaches on the east coast, whatever. But I was down there, and I was like, this water's like warm, y'all. Like warm. Yes, it was January. It was January. It was warm. And it was also really blue. <laughs> I was like, I'm. That's this it. is not. Yeah, this is not the same. Like, I would be at the beach every weekend, probably more than that, if I lived here. Hundred because I can't. Yeah, it's the it's the it's the I don't know the tropic person in me, and so. But I think this is a really good starting point because I think a lot of people probably listening don't necessarily know you and know your story, and so you saying your you know your return to asia and and being in indonesia we probably need to tee that up so yeah, let's do that. for our people as i was say so for our people who are listening in can you talk a little bit and share like where did you grow up so tell us a little bit about your international story okay so 
born in Beantown, Massachusetts, and I was there till the age of nine. So mom is Taiwanese and dad's Ethiopian. They were both academics at the time. So they met in university had me. And as I said, I was there to the age of nine. My parents split when I was nine. And so I moved to Taiwan with my mom, where I grew up for, I think, okay, so till the age of 12, I think that's Mm -hmm. eighth grade. And mom was a diplomat. So she was assigned to Singapore. And so we moved there and I was in Singapore for the next 10 years. So I basically finished finished middle school, graduated high school, spent a little extra time there, then went back to the States for uni. So I went to Syracuse. That was too big a culture shock. So I was out of there and right. <laughs> I overloaded those credits and I was like, peace out. I've, I've, I've got to get out of here. No offense to anyone from Syracuse. Love the school, but it just, it was too much for me coming from the tropics. Right. Yeah. So transferred to BU. And I stayed in the States for another, I think, 10 years. So Boston, New York, then traveled a bit, found myself back in Asia again. So stayed in Singapore again for another 10 years from there, went to Portugal, and now I'm in Bali. That's the nutshell, but I know we're going to break it down okay. a little bit more. <laughs> <laughs> right. And and here's the wild part, as, as long as I've known you and known parts of your story, like... <laughs> There's a whole bunch of things you said that I went, I didn't even know that part. So, so, so yeah, we are definitely going to break it down. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. Let's, and let's unpack the part, the part of obviously you being a kid growing up in the States, right? So with your mom being a, you know, Taiwanese and your dad being of Ethiopian descent, right? Like yeah. you're already a bicultural kid, right? Like yeah. bicultural, cross-cultural. And so, what did that look like for, and, and I know this is taking it back, but what did that look like for you as a kid in the States? Because I'm, I would imagine, this is just me guessing, yeah. but I could be wrong. I would imagine maybe people who didn't know you, or your family didn't necessarily know where to place you. Oh yeah. A hundred percent. So, oh my gosh, I have so many hilarious stories about this. So let me see how to break it down. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'll start by saying, so at that time, most of my family on my dad's side were also in the States, whereas my family on my mom's side were mostly in Taiwan and, and spread across Asia. Mm-hmm. So in terms of like exposure to the two cultures, I think I had more, more from the Ethiopian side. You know, my aunt was always making Ethiopian food. My dad was always making Ethiopian food. I heard a lot of Amharic and Tigrinya being spoken from that side of the family. My mom brought me up. I mean, she started teaching me to speak Mandarin and Hokkien quite early. So I had the language side of it, but not as much of the culture side of it. And it's funny, like my, my parents being academics, right? I'd always be hanging out with them and their, their professor friends. And they're always like, well, do you know that you're coming from some of the most ancient cultures and all this? I was very like aware in my head that, okay, I'm Taiwanese Ethiopian, but you know, at school and with my friends, you know, I had the line, right? I'm like, I'm Taiwanese Ethiopian born in America, but I think I very much was being raised up until the age of nine as like an American kid, right? With okay, we eat mm-hmm. different kinds of food at home. Um, mm-hmm. But I sounded American, you know, and, and yeah, I mean, English was the common language for my parents, right? So I think right. up until the age of nine, that was what it was, you know, like I had a bit of that exposure from Ethiopia, limited on the Chinese side. And, and yeah, otherwise I just thought, I just knew what to tell people 
where to tell people I was from. <laughs> yeah. And so I would imagine then, you know, obviously your parents separate and then you are then moving to Asia, what I would imagine for the first time, right? At the age of nine, 10. Exactly. Yeah. And oh man, okay. I was bawling when my mom told me that was happening. <laughs> and I, I had, yeah, no. <laughs> yeah. And I had all these crazy ideas. Oh yeah. So I mentioned earlier, I had funny stories and I didn't even tell one. So one of them, I mean, this is really funny. So my, my grandmother on my father's side, she came to visit us in the States from Ethiopia once and she, you know, she didn't speak much English, but she always used to make fun of me lovingly, of course, right? About me being half Chinese. And she used to literally, I'm waving the karate hands right now. And she'd be like, yeah. you Chinese. She's like, karate, ha 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 ha. And like uh. squeezing the eyes and like just making fun of my yeah. Asianness, right? And uh. of course, it was like all love, right? But it's just really funny how those kind of stereotypes even exist within your family, right? And so right. when mom was like, we're moving to Taiwan, I had, I mean, I was just as naive, right? I had all these images of like, in hindsight, I think I was imagining like Thai dancers with fans has nothing to do with Taiwan, but I was like, yeah. I don't want to go there. I'm never going to make friends. Yeah. I don't want to be there. I'm American. <laughs> right. So I was freaking right. out. I was freaking out about it. Let me ask this question. I mean, and you know, even being in the States at that age, did folks, I mean, and I, and I, I think it'll be interesting to ask this question too, when you move to, move to Taiwan or, or move to Asia, but like, did folks in the States, like, so let's take it out of your family, but folks in the States realize that you were half Asian. Like, did they, did you as a little kid present as half, like physically present as half Asian? No, definitely not. I mean, categorically, I mean, just from my appearance, I would say African-American was the first assumption. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and a more serious note, I mean, I even had, I did run into a couple of things which now looking back, I'm like, it's quite shocking because later on, as we'll get into, like my life was so different. It's, it's really shocking that I had an experience like this, but I went to a private school at one point in the States. And I remember there was, I don't even know what they're called. You know, there's like these bouncing, they look like the planet Saturn and you used to like put your feet on them and bounce on them. Anyway, they're all yeah. the rage at that time. Yeah. yeah. And my girlfriend had one at school one day and I'd gone to her and I'd said, you know, I want one, you know, those are amazing. And she was like, well, so those are really more for white girls. Like black girls can't have them. Okay. And <laughs> it was really shocking for me. Like, I was like, well, wait a minute. I mean, it was shocking for so many reasons, right? Like, first of all, I'm like, wait, why can't I have the same it's, toy as you? Second, right. like, what do you mean black girl? Like, who are you talking about? Like, <laughs> <laughs> right. What? And then I went home to my parents. It was just, it was just, it was a shit show. But I mean, you know, it's just really funny that that's the kind of experience that I had. And I'm sure it's very common, right? But right. in hindsight, right. it's just like, yeah, wow, that was the dynamic. And had I continued, right. you know, going to school there or like continued living in the States, I'm sure there would have been a lot more incidents like that, you know? Yeah. So yeah, yeah. really bizarre at the time. Cause I just, I never really just considered myself a black girl. Or, you know, no one had told me, like, you're African-American, right? So it was just bizarre for me. Okay, so then let's, and I was like, so let's flip this because at the, you know, nine tens of pivotal age, right? Because you're about to enter your preteens. Yeah. And, you know, for many, for many kids at that age, you are, as you're about to make the jump. You haven't quite made the jump from kind of like elementary to middle school, depending on, right. or secondary school, depending on, you know, what system. So 
what is Tai what was Taiwan then for you? Or what was it then? Because that's the first place you got you 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 came to, right? Was it yeah. Taiwan? Okay. Yeah. So now you're this biracial American kid with a Taiwanese mom. <laughs> so and this is probably, I'm assuming, like the nineties or the two thousands. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this is the nineties in Taiwan where I don't even know. Like they've probably seen maybe like three dark people like right. in the country ever. And they were probably from other parts of Asia, right? Totally. So it's like, oh, they're from like, Cambodia or somewhere, well, right? Yeah, or Laos. Yeah, right. Or like, I don't know. You know, they got all kinds of assumptions that come with that. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, Taiwan, and I want to be, I, I just want to throw this disclaimer out. Like right now, today, right? Like Taiwan is so... It's such an amazing place. I love the culture. I love the people. Yeah. It's so close to my heart. And I need to say that because at the age of nine up until 12 when I was there, I hated that place because yeah. it was the 90s, because it wasn't, it didn't have that exposure to people of, of different backgrounds and different skin color. And so, you know, I always say like, I never, in hindsight, like I know there was no ill will meant towards me, but there were a lot of incidences that just sucked and really stuck with me for a long time. For one thing, I mean, I'd be walking on the street with my mom everywhere we went. I was like stared down, you know, and because I could understand Chinese, it almost felt like a curse yeah. because I could understand every comment and, and question that came our way. Like, you know, is she your maid? You know, mm. how could she be your daughter when she's so dark? Kids would be like... Like, you know, they have different terms, which sound really offensive if I translate, but they're not offensive in Chinese, you know, but I was always like black person or black this. And I got chased down by the cops one day because they thought I was an illegal Filipina maid. I, I mean, oh, wow. was just, there was, there was a lot. And I spent a lot of my days crying and, you know, I did go to the international American school, but interestingly, like even that dynamic was really weird because my group of friends were Taiwanese girls because I could speak Chinese. I just connected with them better mm. than, you know, some of the other girls that were not from Taiwan. Like they were from all over and there was yeah. a bit of a, of, of, of tension there. You know, I mean, they were kind of looking at me like, okay, well, why does she feel that she can't hang out with us? And then, you know, I mean, you know how young girls can be. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, at the time, Taiwan was like, I, I really, really hated it. And it was really hard for me growing up there and really like understanding my identity, you know? And at that time, I was also living with my mom's sister's family. And so, you know, at home was very much like your typical Taiwanese family. And as I said, at school, I had my Taiwanese girlfriends. But, you know, again, I'm from the outset and to a stranger, I'm anything but. Right. And so right. I think, yeah, those were, those were some low points for me. And so I was really happy when we actually moved to Singapore because that was a completely different experience. Yeah. I mean, just even what you were saying about at the international school, it reminds me a little bit of the work that Danao Tenu has done, who I absolutely adore because yes. a lot of her you know, and I was, let me put that title, doctor, because she earned that PhD. <laughs> Dr. Danau, Dr. Danau Tanu, if you are listening and don't know her, because I, you know, my first introduction is when I went to the Families and Global Transition Conference, my very first one, like back in like 2014 or so. And she was doing a presentation specifically on the experiences of Asian students in international schools and, and this, you know, 
why they may congregate together and, and kind of identity work. And I could see like, just even though that was not the focal point of, of kind of your response, I do see elements of that tension also, you know, between, as you're right, it's girls, it's school, but it's also other factors totally. between those who are from a region or have, or, or there's significant numbers of them from or have ties to a region yes. versus students who are coming from other places and how that can be uh, problematic is not the word, but you can understand why the groups kind of form. Totally. And so, totally. yeah. And so it's interesting that because you, you said, obviously that was a hard period. And, and we always say on this podcast, look, people's experiences are their experiences. It doesn't mean that the place is bad or wrong or whatever, but totally. yeah, we, we've got to imagine, you know, in the nineties and there are so many places in the world that where they were 10, 15, 20 years ago. Absolutely. No, are the not the same. Yes, absolutely. The context is so important. And I mean, and, and again, it's not even just to like backtrack on what I said, but like, honestly, I had so much resistance when I was going back to visit Taiwan, I think like 15 years later with my ex-husband. And, and, and I'm so glad that he pushed me to kind of like go back with an open mind because 15 years later, Taiwan was a completely different place. Right. I, mean, I was ready to be stared at. I was, I had my guard up. Right. I was like, okay, here we go down memory lane. Like I have healed. So I'm going to be right. okay. Right. But I mean, there was none of, you know, it wasn't needed. They were so open. They were so curious. They were so wanting to speak English, wanting to connect. They were embracing me when I told them, when I told them I was half Taiwanese, they were like, well, you basically are Taiwanese. I mean, it was a completely different right. experience. So context really matters. Right. You know, and, and, and people, let me put it this way communities and countries like people change right of course we all evolve right right and so yeah. and obviously one of the good things i think the access to technology in the way we have it now is that totally. people are able to see the world in a different way and also let's be honest a lot of places have become more open because i was just talking yeah. about this with someone else where they were in another southeast or another you know southeast asian country where that country hadn't always been as open, but right. now it's far more open. And so yeah. a lot of things are not strange to them anymore because they've had people come from all over the world. Right. Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and, and so, okay. So talking about Singapore and to your point, I feel like if you, if anyone's ever been to Singapore, Singapore is a really interesting place because, <laughs> you know, it's not, I've been a lot of places. That's not ever a place where I feel like you get stared at. <laughs> No. Even, even without like in my, you know, in my case, I very much don't look like the local population and very much stand out from the local population, which has got a couple strains of different With identities through it, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Right. But it's yeah. never like, it's never like other places. And so Singapore, why, how, I guess the why and the how did your, you and your mom or how did you guys end up in Singapore? So, so yeah. So mom, so when she, when, she moved to Taiwan. She got more involved in government. And so she took a diplomatic role that posted her in Singapore. So that's why we moved there. And I honestly, I can't really remember. I mean, I had some good friendships in Taiwan. So, you know, and I was 12. And so it was hard to leave. And at the same time, I think I was ready for something different. Right. Mm. And right off the bat, I mean, like you said, Singapore is, it's a really special 
little place, the little red dot, you know, uh, I think for one thing, and even it has evolved right over, over the years for sure. But I think it's always been a sort of hub, right? Even just for business, right? I think you're yeah. always getting, it's a gateway to Asia, right? So you're always getting people from different walks of life flying through, transiting through. And then to your point, like the local population has so many shades and mixes already, right? Like even yeah. there's tons of data out there or, or research out there that looks into like, you know, what makes a Singaporean, right? Because there's mm-hmm. Chinese, there's Chinese Malay, there's Indonesian, there's Indian Singaporeans. So, you know, you already get that diversity in the local population. And so, like you said, you know, you don't really get any stare downs there, right. you know, you kind of just blend in with the social fabric. So when I got there, I mean, it just felt, it just felt like a breath of fresh air, you know, like no one was staring at me. And when I went with my mom to like, check out the different international schools, we went to the American school and then we went to the British school, United World College, which is where I ended up going. And it was just so amazing to see and meet like a student population that was not just like diverse because it was different colors, but they were so mixed. I mean, yeah. all kinds of mixed, you know, like, right. and, and it was super cool. You know, it was super cool to meet other people who I had the reaction of like, wow, that's a crazy mix. You know, like it was nice right. to not be that person. <laughs> not, not to be the, not to be the receiving end of it. But- and yeah, so that, that was really, I, I, I really, I think from the outset, I was just really excited to be there, you know, and there's so much cultural richness and it just, like I think, like I said, I think it really took the focus off of me. And allowed me to kind of like get curious and get educated, you know, about the different cultures out there and, and to meet other people who are multicultural like me, you know, and all the languages that were there. So it, it was a, it was a great experience. I loved it. And also in the end, like I said, I went to United World College and it was more traditional and that we all had to wear uniform and stuff. And the school ethos was really all about like embracing diversity. And I think this is why my mom chose this school over the American school, because the American school was quite like, you know, USA, USA, which, you know, it's a great school, but it didn't celebrate that diversity as much. And so it was amazing, you know, and we had like the United Nations nights where we really celebrated and, and sought to learn and understand different cultures. And so I really think that was the start of, the starting point in my life where I became like such an advocate of, you know, early exposure to multiple cultures, having that be part of education systems. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And really encouraging that kind of diversity. Right. Like when you're raising kids now that I'm a mom or, you know, teaching. Right. When you're in education. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, I hope that you are enjoying this episode of Flourish in the Foreign. If building a business, if having your own business has been part of your vision of a life well lived for quite some time and you haven't been able to really make it happen or perhaps you aren't as profitable as you'd like or perhaps you're not sustainable like you would like, like you would need to be to live abroad then I invite you to join my Build a Business Abroad group coaching program. You can learn more about me as a business strategist and more about the program at my professional website, christinejobe.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-T-I-N-E-J-O-B.com. And of course, there'll be links to all of this information in the description of this episode. All right, back to the show. 
All right. So we're back from the break. And, you know, if, as, if you've been listening, you will know that Sol, as she's told her story, has had these multicultural threads that have weaved throughout everything she's done just by virtue of her family dynamics and, and her educational dynamics. And so one of the things, you know, as we were talking offline and, and during the break, is that I, I am very fascinated about how what we know as third culture kids and CCK, so cross-cultural kids, kind of incorporate some of their earlier life experiences, right? So we're saying, you know, 18 and younger into who they become as an adult. And so from a, from a professional standpoint, right? And you talked about the impacts, especially with UWC. How have you incorporated those experiences and, and, and leveraged sort of the skills, you know, kind of navigating these different spaces into the work that you would do professionally? Gosh. Okay. So let me start by saying, you know, when I think about my sort of, I guess, career trajectory, right? Since getting out of college, for example, it has been as diverse and multifaceted and kind of all over the place as I am culturally yes, speaking, right? you know, I mean, I, I always struggle to like uh, choose a path or stick with a job, like, you know, and thank God the world has evolved because, you know, straight out of school, I was like a job hopper and that was like the worst thing you could be. <laughs> right. And fast forward to today and everyone's like, celebrating like you know the portfolio career and um the neo generalists out there and i'm like oh my god i'm finally like wanted (laughs) right and by the way i love that term like i'm gonna steal it as a career counselor the portfolio career that is such a good term like that's a great term right like and, and I think that's what it is, right? Like, I mean, I'm just like, I'm sorry, I'm going to sound a bit like an ass right now, but I'm like, hello, thank you world for catching up. Right. Like, because that's what it is, right? right? It's about, I mean, in my mind, it's about building a portfolio of experiences, of skills, you know, and, and you discover that as you go, right? I mean, props to those who kind of like come right out of school, know what they're great at, follow that path and yeah. excel at it. In my line of work, though, as I've seen, there's not many people who go down that path. Like they might have done something they thought they were supposed to or for whatever reason selected to do only to find out later on it's not what they wanted. Right. So I just think like, thank goodness the world is now open and more inviting to people who are willing to experiment and to just figure things out as they go. And I can now thankfully say like it served me really well. So. Having said that, you know, I think a lot of all that sort of meandering in my career culminated with the business that I set up with my friend and and co-founder, Grace, the Change School, right? And we set that up, which is how you and I connected, right? We set that up back in 2014. And basically, I mean, Grace and I came together because just like me, you know, she'd kind of tried out all different kinds of roles. We both kind of landed in marketing because it's just one of those generalist areas, right? Mm -hmm. That I think people who, who don't have a very specialized path often find themselves, but we hated it. I mean, it wasn't what we loved to do. And so we kind of came together and go, okay, so where do people like us go from here, right? Like, how do you build a career in the world that we're living in today? And how do you move forward? And how do you navigate? And how do you know, like, what's right for you? And we always used to joke and say, like, at the time, you know, if we were categorically lost, 
right? It felt like the only two options were to like go on a yoga retreat, hope you find yourself or go get an MBA and hope you can get a higher paying job. Right. Right. And neither of those options were what we wanted, but then both of those options held elements of things that we wanted. And so the, the reason we brought, we came together to build the change school was like, we were basically asking ourselves, like, what would that perfect place and space look like, right? Like what was missing that we felt would have helped us to move forward. And so we built the school as a place for people with multiple talents, with multiple identities, right? Or who felt they were at a crossroads in their life and their work and just needed a safe space to be able to reflect on identity, to reflect on their core values, to be able to come together and feel like you're in a safe space with peers where you can share your learnings, share your ideas. Maybe you want to start a business, but you need some soundboarding. Maybe you're miserable in your job, but you just need some guidance as to figuring out what's making you miserable and what what type of job would be more fulfilling for you. And so that's what we we offered in the form of immersive retreats. So we ran some retreats in Bali. We had some public workshops. We later did some corporate trainings as well. And then we started offering some online courses so that we could have, you know, a wider reach and a deeper impact with our with our learners. And, you know, I think one of the sort of big topics and areas that we talked about a lot on Change School TV, which was our YouTube channel, was global citizenship, Mm -hmm. right? Like, what does that mean? And how do you incorporate that into your life and into your work? And that's actually how we, you and I connected and how we connected with like now and the whole sort of TCK space, right? Because we understood that there was like this term and, and this identity called third culture kids not necessarily a term that like we had self-identified mm-hmm. with at the time, but that's essentially what global citizenship was for us, right? And we were talking about it less as an identity and more as a mindset, a mindset of being curious about the world, you know, a mindset that is open to understanding people of different backgrounds and focusing more on what we share in common versus our differences, right? And then if you have that mindset, you know, if it's in your DNA or if it's something you resonate with, how do you then incorporate that into your daily life and into the work that you do? So that's kind of what we felt we were doing with the Change School, but then it's also what we wanted to share about through our YouTube channel to talk about and to also connect with other TCKs and people who sort of resonated with this idea of global citizenship. So, yeah, I mean, that was really like, it was my baby. It was my everything. It was, it was, it was kind of like me embodied in a business. (laughs) Right. And you know what, as it's funny as you talk, because one of the, one of the challenges I think when you've had kind of this mobile childhood, you kind of touched on it quite early on is the fact that how do you incorporate <laughs> all the you've already had you've already lived a lifetime of experiences and it's like you're not even a fully grown adult yet and then when it when it's yeah. coming to like the professional standpoint because i run into this with third culture kids all the time actually is it's right. like what what do i do now because there's so much i want to do but i don't know what i can do and it's and it gets totally. even wilder like you would think after like 25, it would kind of settle down or 28 or 30, but they'll be like older and are still like, you know, and I, and, 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 and I love that you guys, like you looked at something and you said, okay, this is a mindset because here's, here's the thing too about the third culture experience. Like 
I've also had to tell kind of college students that being a TCK isn't like, <laughs> I like the word you use the word mindset because it isn't just like, it isn't just like <laughs> a thing. It's like, a right. And no, it's not totally. a widget, right? Because here's the, Here's the wild part. You're a third culture kid. I'm a third culture kid. Grace is a third culture kid. All of our TCK experiences, though, were like different. Do you know what I mean? Like we did not have, even if you went to the same school, like just by your family dynamic, right? It's different than your friend. And so I would tell like college students, it's not like you saying you're a TCK doesn't mean, (laughs) it doesn't mean anything to somebody who doesn't understand the term. And also, how do you totally. take such a nebulous concept and make it into totally. something that's productive? And so what I think was cool about the chain school is that you took something that was a nebulous concept <laughs> and said, okay, <laughs> this is how it can apply to your life, to your work. Like, like you took it and made it a tool, if you will. Well, exactly. And, and, you know, and I'm just going to add to that and say, because this was really interesting for us, you know, initially we did start when we started our channel, we did start talking about TCKs and MCKs. And this is what was really eye opening for me, right? Like we always want, somehow we realized it started becoming a bit exclusive, Mm. right? And that wasn't our intention, but we had some amazing, what I would call global citizen members of our community coming on and being like, cause we would interview different people and they would be like, look, I want to come on the show, but like, I'm not a TCK. So am I not cool enough? Right. <laughs> right. Was, and they were actually pissed. Right. Like, and I understand, and I was shocked because I didn't expect that reaction. But then when I thought about it, I was like, well, yeah, because, and I'm not saying this is what the intention is behind the term or behind, you know, actual TCKs, being a TCK myself, right? But it just, it start. I saw how it was starting to become something that was like almost, to your point, nebulous, right? It was being defined within such parameters that it, the conversation was going to, so who qualifies, right? right? Am I a TCK? Am I an MCK? And if I'm not, if I don't speak three languages, does that mean, you know? And so we really wanted to like, broaden the conversation and because we see so much power and strength in the tck experience Mm -hmm. i think there's so much more that even people who wouldn't necessarily have had that experience can also like they can also bring or cultivate those strengths you know to like I said, open-mindedness, curiosity, right? A perspective that focuses more on what we share in common versus what we have, you know, versus our differences. I think this is all really, really important for the world that we're living in today. And that's what we wanted the message to be, right? Less so than than saying, okay, hey, TCKs, let's all rally together. Like, yes, we wanted to create that space, but it was more about, okay, how do we make this something constructive and create a positive impact in the world with our experiences and with the perspectives that we have. No, I totally get it because you know this, I run something called the black expat, (laughs) right? Yeah. Right. And so then you don't, what, what the struggle is, is that you don't want to be exclusive. Right. And completely like, so even with my, even when this was launched, meaning the site, not the the podcast, it was, this is black inclusive. So I don't care where your experiences are coming from because it's not just black American. But to that point, that also means that the door is open for 
biracial, multiracial family dynamics, right? Situations. It's also open to, like I said, I've said this before, families who are not black, but have adopted black children and are expats, right? Right. So like, you're right. right. The problem, I think sometimes with terms, and I think this is the same thing you, I mean, expat in and of itself goes through this like every two days, right? Like, (laughs) like expat, like, the conversation around who gets to be what and to the point that you don't want the yeah. work to be so focused and hyper-focused on the term that it's exclusionary totally. if that's not your intention. Now, there are scenarios and spaces where people want to be exclusionary and, you know, and I get it for like right. safety and for like to support and whatever. But I totally. love the fact that you kind of framed it as we're doing this thing to say, okay, you can take these tools, you can take this mindset and you can apply it. And it, and you don't, you don't, you, you don't have to, you don't have to already come with a certain experience, but you, you just have to be exactly. open to what could happen if you change the way you're thinking. Totally. Yeah. No, that's totally exactly. legit. Exactly. And yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, right. It's so funny when we start getting into these global spaces, right? Because we, we all of a sudden have to define oh these terms yes. to make sure people oh get it. Oh my God, my head's spinning already, just going back, thinking about <laughs> right. it. Right, because you're like, well, <laughs> like, I don't want to exclude these folks, but I want these folks to know that they matter. No, totally. welcome to my existence and my entire brand yes, is like yes. literally every day. Well, it's like, how do you start with a term that the world knows, right. but then we want to redefine it and then we want to unpack it. And it's just, right. yeah, it's a... Hey, well, I didn't, and I didn't even yeah. get to the black part because that <laughs> that's a whole nother, like, <laughs> that's, a whole, that's, that's my no, own I mean, podcast. And I'm sure I have episodes where y'all can listen to me talk about that. So... So let's look, I mean, with that context and, and obviously you've talked about having your own portfolio career, which once again, I think that's just the way of the world. Like I was talking to someone who I've been coaching, who is, you know, she's about 28 or so. And oddly enough, her and her, her and her mom and me are the same generation, but I'm the really young end of the generation. (laughs) And so I'm, I'm prefacing this and her mom works in HR. And oddly enough, this, okay. this young woman, this young professional who I've known since she was like 25 was a TCK. She's, she's an only child. She was a TCK. Mm-hmm. Her parents were not. And, you know, they've been in the States for a good long while and she's been in the States for a while. And her mother was like, she still has some very old school HR. Like I, I was like, we're the same generation, but like I'm, de- you're definitely the older part of it. Still has some ideas around career, right? Where, you know, you stay at something for a long time. You give people like, you know, you don't take, <laughs> you you can give your notice that you're leaving, but you don't take like vacation time. Like, oh, yeah. it's not like, cause I know plenty of people are like, I'm leaving. Also, I've got all this vacation time. I'm going to use it. And her mom's like very traditional. <laughs> and, and so I was just yeah. laughing when you were talking about kind of like the way you've sort of seen the world kind of catch up to where you are. And, and you're very much like her. She's very much like you, where it's like, I can build portfolios of experiences because I say this, we all, we all have our own toolbox. We just have different permutations of tools in there. And so when we're looking for opportunities, and I think I've seen this with your career, your career has seems to have leaned a lot more on the tools that you've developed having based on the life that you've had versus exactly. I'm going to be, and I can just pick up marketing because you mentioned it. I'm going to be a marketing professional for the next 30 years. Does that sound? Totally. 
No, a hundred percent. It's like, you know, I mean, yeah, I love, I love the analogy you're using. And, and similarly, you know, it's almost just like an artist's palette, right? It's like, I'm not going to paint a picture inside this box. Mm. I'm going to use all my colors and all my different brushes, right? And I'm going to design a whole new yeah. thing. Yeah. Right? And I'm going to fit perfectly in my own little painting. Right. You know, um, so yeah, no, that that's totally spot on. And I think that toolbox is exactly how I look at it. It's even how I talk about it when I'm, you know, speaking with different companies that I've interviewed with. And it's also how we used to describe things to our students at the change school, right? It's like, here is your toolbox. And it's just about how do you navigate the world and know when to use what and, and make it work for you, right? And And make those connections where you see the opportunities, right? And P.S., when you talked about HR just now, all kinds of alarm bells were going in my head. <laughs> because, I mean, and I know we're going to move a little bit away from the professional side of things, but I just want to say, you know, HR is a really interesting space that I think it's like a gray area for me and the future direction of my work right now, because, you know, currently I'm still doing some coaching and consulting and training, which is really around like, people development, yes. design thinking, yep. professional development, yep. right? And in parallel, I'm speaking to different organizations and it's falling in the HR department, right? And yeah. my alarms are going off because it's like, to your point, and I'm, I'm going to oversimplify for the sake of time, right? I think traditionally and very much to date, HR is still being like payroll, yeah. administrative yeah. stuff, yeah. you know? a lot of the boring, unsexy stuff. And I, I'm a bit, this is an area that I think really does need to catch up because where I think more companies need to be focusing the HR function is around like people development, yeah. the training, the coaching, the mentorship, yeah. you know? So there's a lot of, there's some organizations I've been speaking to that have kind of asked me to consider taking roles in HR. And I'm like, look, I'm happy to help out with the administrative side of things that need to be done, but that can be easily outsourced. I'm only in if we're really committing to focus on people development, yeah. right? And, and culture and all that good stuff, you know? So it's really funny that you brought that up and you talked about like the old and the new because it's, it's so and true. Here's the thing. I'm going to add, I'm going to throw a layer on this before we, we throw what the direction. Yeah. So you are totally right. And unironically, <laughs> unironically, because it's never yeah. the Amanda show, but it becomes the Amanda show after a while. <laughs> unironically, I am finishing up my own, like, because I love professional development. So I am finishing up a year long certificate in the learning and development space as you're talking. Maybe. And I was literally going, uh-huh, uh-huh. Exactly yeah. what she's saying is like, yes, like that. And I love like, you know, everybody knows careers, my, my, my counseling and coaching background. I love that as I look at different companies and how they're shifting, you can start to see, and I, I believe COVID accelerated this. You're starting to see more companies. Yeah really pour into that learning and development. And, it, you know, it's called different things, right? But it's L&D, it's training and development, people, yeah. people experience yeah. whatever, because quite honestly, at least in the U.S., uh, like something like 46 million Americans 
We're looking for new jobs in the last six months. Right. And and so they're trying to figure out how do we keep people and it's upskilling. It's keeping them engaged. It's showing them a progressive plan. It's onboarding them correctly. And so like, I'm just going to say you can, you can be busy for the next 20 years is what I, and I don't want, I want to be cautious and, and mindful when I say this, but girl, I was following all the news about the yes. great resignation and I was loving it personally, the great reawakening. Cause I was like, hallelujah, this shit's happening. <laughs> it's about time. And it's going to make it, it's going to make to your point, companies shift faster oh my gosh. because it needed to happen like yesterday, but at least it's happening now. To- right. <laughs> and to your point, I think you and I are both right. in the right space. <laughs> I was like, there's a worldwide <laughs> pandemic that it took for it to happen, but here we are. And so, you know, another thing we were kind of discussing offline, and I think this is just as important, is that, you know, as you you've mentioned earlier and or yeah, we have mentioned this earlier, you have a little one. And I know Mm -hmm. that for many friends who are third culture kids and many of the people who've come on this show who are in cross cultural partnerships, right, and relationships yeah. It's like a mind shift, right? Because, because well, even though you've been a TCK and you've been, you know, a multicultural, multifaceted individual, cross-cultural person, it's something else kind of raising your own, I think. Okay, so I'm just going to add, yeah, it's a mind bleep. That's what it is. I mean, because, right. <laughs> and I have, this is probably one of, and I'm sure a lot of moms out there, you know, cross-cultural, multicultural or not, right, would would resonate with this, right? I mean, this is definitely the steepest learning curve of my life yet, mm. right? I'm just going to say that, being a mom. But I think I didn't expect how much thought and energy and internal, like, battling mm. <laughs> would happen in trying to think about or make sense of and, and to guide and steer, like, the cultural influence and upbringing of my little one, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, so, you know, just to get more specific, right. Cause we were talking about this. So my son, I mean, he's 14 months now he was born in Portugal mm-hmm. and his father's Portuguese and I'm Taiwanese Ethiopian. So right away he's got three cultures in there. And, and the thing is he's been, you know, watching Portuguese cartoons, his dad speaking to him in Portuguese. I'm always speaking to him in English. And, you know, one day it just kind of dawned on me. I was like, well, how, and first of all, like how important is it that he, to what, and to what extent does he also need to have the sort of Taiwanese and Ethiopian exposure and influence in his Mm -hmm. life? And I, and I, the reason I ask those questions is because partly I'm like, well, is that like my own ego? Is that a me thing? You know, is it because I'm Taiwanese Ethiopian that I think it's so important that it's part of his culture and part of his identity, but maybe that's not something he will resonate with at all. Right. And do I force it or do I allow things to kind of happen naturally? And then I realized, but he's, you know, he's half Portuguese. He's a quarter Taiwanese. He's a quarter Ethiopian. Not that, you know, it matters the percentages matter, but it was just interesting because I grew up my whole life thinking, okay, I'm half Taiwanese, half Ethiopian. I hadn't really considered that there's this third culture now that I am, you know, I've only had three years to learn about myself while I was living in Portugal, you know, and I'm not fluent in Portuguese. I've just been starting to learn the language. So, I mean, and 
I started to find myself almost fighting for it. And it was, to be really honest, like part of my move to Asia, I was like, no, he's got to have some Asia exposure. Mm. He's got to meet my, well, of course he's going to meet my mom. But you know, when my mom came to spend time with us, I was like, please speak to him in Chinese. So he like, he gets the Mandarin in there, you know? Um, And now he's in Bali and I'm just like, you know, I'm wanting him to eat more Asian food and tofu. <laughs> and his dad's like, okay, maybe he doesn't want tofu. And I'm like, no, he's going right. to love tofu. I mean, okay, I'm not that panic, but I'm just, you know, I'm trying to illustrate the kind of crazy right. and internal struggle that, that I'm experiencing as a mom in trying to be like, okay, I want to shape this amazing global citizen, right? But again, it's like, how much do you push it or how do you create the right environment or how do you nurture and bring up a a human, right? In a way that that kind of happens naturally or quote unquote correctly. I don't even know, you know? So like I was telling you in our break, right? Like I just, this is taking up so much of my mental and spiritual (laughs) energy. I'm real, you know? And of course, because I'm an overthinker anyway, just insane. It's really insane. I had Dr. Nafisa Allen back in, let's say March. And she is in a cross-cultural relationship partnership. Her husband is Mozambican. She's American. They met in India. They've got two kids, right? And she talked a little bit about this in her episode where (laughs) about in that case, kind of managing the in-laws and the expectations because she's just on a whole nother level. She's a U.S. diplomat. So she's on a whole nother level as to like what's going on. And I remember one of the things that she said was, look, and her kids are little. So they're four and two. And one of the things that she said was, you know, she speaks Portuguese. So she speaks English, Spanish and Portuguese. Her husband obviously speaks Portuguese and English. And then, you know, they're the the ethnic language. And one of the things she was like, look, we just went ahead and got a virtual tutor (laughs) and to make sure (laughs) that the little ones are getting proper, like they're properly getting Portuguese, for example, in that case, because she at least wanted them to be tethered language wise to Yes, but you know, because they're in the state department system, right? To his family and they can be able to communicate and whatnot. But then there were other things that were very culturally specific that they decided that they would have the kids like do or be familiar with so that they would have cultural context, right? Because obviously they're raising these kids outside of Mozambique. She didn't grow up in Mozambique. She's, you know, she's American, whatnot. But it was the same little big piece of like wrestling that I could kind of hear you're talking about where it's how much, right? Do we, <laughs> how yeah. much do we make sure, especially, and I think it's hard, especially when you do see yourself as like a global citizen, because then you're like, oh my God, yeah, and, and there's like tinges of the Asian tiger mom coming out. Right. Of and you're just like, no, my kid is going to learn this. <laughs> right. <laughs> because I had this experience, but I, here's, here's what I think though, is that you, as, as, as he grows up, you're probably going to figure out the pieces that work within y'all's story because we have to be honest as TCKs too, is that we are not 100% whatever our parents are, right? Like we, we're exactly. like the light version. Yeah. Let's be honest. <laughs> like, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> like we are, like we're not, like, especially if they grew up, they grew up mono- monolithically in one country, right? Like, 
Totally. We aren't. I mean, as much as we see our identities and they are part of identities, we're not like hardcore with it. And so, so we have to kind of accept (laughs) that with our kids, right? Like your, your kid is all of those things. Like he's a new thing, right? No, a hundred percent. No, you're, you're a hundred percent right. And I mean, I think, and like we said, right? Like, I mean, the first thing I did, and this is like amidst the pandemic too, right? And I'm sorry, I know you can just hear him. <laughs> Living like, his best life. Exercising his lungs right now. Like, it's all good. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, one of the first things I did, right? Like right after he was born was like, I was on a mission. I was like, I'm getting these kid, this kid as many passports as possible. So he got the U.S. passport through mm-hmm. me, right? I got him a Taiwanese passport. And then obviously he has a Portuguese passport. And, you know, the reason, I mean, yes, I thought it was pretty cool to be collecting right. passports, but my thinking was really, I want the world to be his oyster. I want him to have the power of choice, right? I want him to feel like he can be, he is a citizen of the world, right? And there was no like, precondition or expectation that like he's gonna live in the states Mm -hmm. or or ever or even choose to keep that passport right or he may never use his taiwanese passport right and and i don't know i don't know what choices he's gonna make right but that was really more my thing is i just wanted to open up the world to him and in doing so i think where some of the pressure was coming as i was like okay one thing is being able to like enter the land to is communicate Mm -hmm. right so to your point about your friend you know, the next step is to try and at least expose him to as many languages and a bit of the culture of each, you know, so he has that in his palate. And then, you know, and the rest is is his to choose and kind of mold for himself, right? As he grows. Like oh my said. gosh. I which already makes me feel like I have to bring you back onto the show later on because no seriously because then it's like i would i would be absolutely fascinated to see what happens like a year or two year removed right where he's oh my god he's older and 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 because how much is your how much has changed and how much you've learned now raise it because you may be in asia you may be somewhere else because you're like everyone else you you may be there you may not be and so I, yeah, I already know I'm setting up for it. And we're going to bring Soul back. Now we're going to talk about parenting a, t- a toddler preschooler. <laughs> now, actually, I probably. Well, I'm going to be coming back from now to the end of my day. Right. It's just like, okay, now this is how you parent a teenager who's grown up in like five countries and has like at least three identities. Yeah, and now she's empty. Right. And, and now, now, how do you find, how do you visit the grandkids who are like all over the, yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. So this, this is oh like blown by so fast, but I am so glad to finally get you on here. And Thank I you. will make sure that people know where to find you because you've touched on the iceberg of your story. I mean, there's so much to your story, but I am so grateful for what you've shared with us today. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me. This has been amazing. I loved it. So good to reconnect. You've just listened to an episode of The Global Chatter, which is hosted by me, Amanda Bates. It is edited by Stephanie Ficcio. Don't forget to subscribe to The Global Chatter on your favorite podcast platform. You can also follow us on Instagram at The Global Chatter or stop by Twitter and find us at Global Chat Pod. 
Thank you so much for listening to this episode. And thank you again, Amanda, for sharing this episode of the Global Chatter with me. If you guys like this episode, be sure to subscribe and support Amanda and the Global Chatter. And remember, it is not about moving abroad. It is definitely not about just being abroad. It's about flourishing abroad. So go abroad and cultivate a life well lived. See y'all next time. Bye. On the next episode of Flourish in the Foreign. My surgery was very, very easy. All I had to do was go to a doctor or I just went to an emergency room with my issue and they were like, okay, you need the surgery. Okay, we're gonna do it on this day. You know, whatever, like they don't, they don't say, oh, how is, uh, where's your money?